everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. Today, for the first time since we started our podcast last year, we have a guest codger in our virtual studio. Steve Lopez, longtime LA Times columnist and author of a new book on the meaning of work and retirement, joins us for today's episode. Before we jump into our conversation with him, Randy tells us about our Codger of the Week. Randy? As listeners of this show know, sometimes we'll highlight a Codger of the Week, somebody who's been in the news or, or come to our attention in our age category, somebody in their golden years. And I'd like to nominate Mr. John McEnroe, the famous tennis player from days gone by, who is now making his new name as a Codger in the pickleball world. And you know, we've talked about pickleball a couple of times on this show. And I think it's just funny. I literally was at the gym the other day. I was on the elliptical machine. I looked up at the TV and it was a pickleball doubles match. And one of the people on the scoreboard said McEnroe. And I stopped what I was doing. I looked up and it's like, oh my gosh, John McEnroe is playing pickleball. On the other team was Andre Agassi. Two old tennis pros. I just thought that was hysterical. Gary, did you know about this? A friend of mine sent me this ESPN clip of John McEnroe playing pickleball. It was called the Pickleball Slam. I mean, ESPN is covering pickleball. <laughs> I'm just Pickleball stunned. has made it to the big time. But what I thought was really so cool is that McEnroe is just a, an angry, feisty, intense old man. He's just my <laughs> kind of guy. And he was going to fight over every point in this That's pickleball right. match. I thoroughly enjoyed this 60 seconds clip. I'll put it in the show notes. John hasn't changed a bit. He hasn't mellowed as an old guy. He's just a feisty old man playing pickleball now. <laughs> Absolutely. He's our kind of codger. Thanks, Randy. Richard, introduce Steve to our listeners. Steve Lopez is one of America's premier newspaper columnists. He's a four-time Pulitzer Prize finalist and has written for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Time Magazine, and the Los Angeles Times, where he's been the paper's leading columnist for more than two decades. His topics have ranged widely over that time, but earlier this year, he announced that his focus will be on issues affecting older people. His latest book, Independence Day, takes readers along on his search for whether retirement is a good option for the next phase of his life. Steve agreed to talk to us about that journey and other issues of getting older. Welcome to Camp Codger, Steve Lopez. Your bunk bed is right over there. Does this make me an honorary Codger? You are, absolutely. Yeah, you're going up yeah. on the wall. No, I want to be a full-fledged <laughs> You know what? I, I think, guys, I think he should be a full codger. I'm okay yeah. with that. That sounds good. Right. I stuck in the motion. All right. You, All right. You, you're in the club. You're in. You're in. And because of that, we're going to toss to you the first question of the day. In your book, Independence Day, you take readers on an agonizingly thorough investigation of the ups and downs of retirement. Here you are one of the country's most admired newspaper columnists with thousands of loyal readers. When did retirement first show up on your radar? 
I think I was probably about 25 or 30. <laughs> you, you were an old hippie you wanted to drop out wait a minute you you've been thinking of retiring for 40 years is that about right 45 years yeah but i really have trouble making decisions <laughs> <laughs> when did i first start seriously thinking about it it's related to the slow agonizing miserable death of newspapers Newspapering is something that I really love to do and have enjoyed and feel privileged to still be doing. But my goodness, I've done it for 50 years. And I did think to myself, good God, is there anything else that, I, that I'm able to do? Or is, is this it? And what might be out there that I haven't tried? I'd say the first 25 years of my career in newspapers, and there have been some magazines in there too, we're all about growth, the growth of, of print journalism. Mm -hmm. And the last 25 years have been about the, the gradual and quite painful demise, mm -hmm. the death. 10, 15, 20 years ago, as newsroom staffs began to shrink, they came around with these buyout offers. That's not particular to newspapers. A lot of industry uses um, the buyouts to cut costs to reduce staff. But they kept coming around. I've now been through 10, 15 rounds of, hey, we will pay you to walk out the door and not return. <laughs> you get a, a package based on your years of service. And so the longer that I served, the bigger that offer was. And I got to say that it, it became tempting because now for me, it's like if buyout offers come around, what it means is I get paid close to a year's pay. So for the next year, I could be sitting twiddling my thumbs collecting the same paycheck. Mm. So that was part of it. That was part of it. So many of my colleagues took that offer and went out and found other things to do that they found gratifying. And I thought maybe I could be one of those people. So I began to think about it. I also thought about how much I still love what I do. And so I've been conflicted since I first considered this. Another variable in all of it is health. I do not want to be one of those people who has all of these things to do on a list post-work, and then when I finally get to it, I'm too hobbled. Um, I'm ready mm -hmm. to take that trip around the world with my wife, and I don't remember her name. And so it's like, how do you know when, when to make the move? And so I, I really, really wrestled with it. I've been thinking about it for years. Basically, you, you decided to write a book about retirement so you could figure out when the heck you want to retire, right? And get paid for it, right? I had lunch with my book agent maybe a month before the pandemic really hit us hard. He's been my book agent for many years. We often have conversations about everything but books. And so we were just catching up, and I mentioned that I was thinking about retirement. And I said, everybody my age or roughly my age is having the same conversation. And he said he was too. I said, but I'm not sure what I would do or who I would be. His name is David Black, and he said, that's a book. What do you mean it's a book? He said, you write about deciding whether to retire. And I said, who would care whether I retire? And he said, roughly 70 million people <laughs> in the United that's right. States. <laughs> and he said, are you, are you aware that 10,000 people a day in the United States, 10,000 people a day turn 65? And I said, oh, my God, I had to look it up. And in fact... That is true. And so a lot of people who are riding that age wave are having some of the same considerations as I was having. And he said, give it a TikTok element. 
I think I can sell this book, start writing, give yourself a year and do what you do. Interview a bunch of people who are happily retired, miserably retired, write kind of a roadmap, Mm. but do it in a way that not only serves readers, but helps you figure out what you want to do. And it sounded like a good plan. So I did it. I think all of us have sat around and asked ourselves the same question. Sometimes still asking. I'm done, yeah. personally. But Richard's still asking that question, am, aren't you? I am. But there's a problem with the way I did it. I was trying to figure out a way to scale back a little bit. Instead, I took on an extra job. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. I, wrote, I wrote the book while I was still working. Oh, my God. <laughs> this kind of begs the question. You've talked to more people about retirement than anybody else we know. And, and we're speaking on behalf of seniors everywhere. Steve, tell us, based on your research on the topic of retirement, you know, what are the best reasons to retire and what are the best reasons not to retire? I think we should establish that probably most people don't have the luxury of this choice. Mm. I think that most people are working because they have to. This economy works for a small percentage of people and it crushes most people. In the kind of work that I do in my day job, I'm in constant contact with those people who can't figure out how they're going to pay the bills when they're working, let alone how they might pay their bills when they're retired. I would say that although financial consideration is obviously key to figuring out whether you can do it and how you're going to survive in retirement, I didn't want to write that book because I don't know a goddamn thing about money. I'm, I'm like many journalists I know, a real dope about money. You know, not make good investments, don't know what to do when you do have money, don't know how to get money. Um, I'm just not very smart about that. And I, I am smart enough to know that there are variables that make it impossible to know whether you've got enough money to retire. I don't know if I retire today, whether I'm going to live 30 years or 30 minutes And so how do I know how much money I might Mm. need? We just don't know. And we don't know what health problems we're going to run into and whether, you know, we just got hit by tornadoes in Los Angeles, (laughs) if you can believe that. So if my house ends up in Kansas... Um, I, that's not something that I had worked into my budget. (laughs) I do know that the happiest retirees that I met have a few bucks. I think that what became the best advice for me and that I've passed on to other people is that don't do it without thinking about what's next. Don't do it without thinking about how much of your identity is caught up and tied to the work that you do. (laughs) And I think that whether you're a school teacher or a nurse or a police officer or a writer, people expect you to show up and to do a job. You matter. And I think that when you contemplate retirement, if you want a happy one, you have to think about who you might matter to and why. And it could be as simple as you matter to the dog because somebody's got to walk the dog. It could be that you matter to the grandchildren because your kids need help. It could be that you matter at the nonprofit you've always been interested in, and now you're volunteering there. But I think you have to find a way to matter. And it seems as though loneliness and feelings of isolation are quite common among retirees. So you've got to anticipate that plans will go awry. It might not be a bad idea to have some sense of what you're going to do in retirement, who you want to be. That's something that I hadn't quite figured out. So I was a little bit uh, nervous about about. Uh, making that leap. 
And so you added another two-thirds job to your full-time job, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a couple of people who made a big impression on me who are in the book. One is Father Greg Boyle. For people who are not familiar with him, he's a Jesuit priest who works in Los Angeles. He runs something called Homeboy Industries, and that's yep. where he takes former gang members who have grown up in gangs, grown up in poverty, grown up in violence, lost family members, lost their parents, gone to prison. They get out, and if they want to find a new path, they go knock on Father Greg's door. And he's been doing this for over 30 years, mm -hmm. and he's been a Jesuit for 50 years. And when I went to see Father Greg, and I did that partly because he's the same age I am, and I asked him if he thinks about retiring, he looked at me like that was a, a strange question. <laughs> and I said, don't you ever think about it? And he said, why would I? And he said, you have to go where life is and do what replenishes you. And don't you find that dropping into people's lives and learning every time you research a column and shining a light on issues that matter to you, isn't that where life is for you? And doesn't that replenish you? And what in the hell are you going to do after that that's going to give you the same sense of purpose and gratification? So that was pretty I thought, damn good advice from Father Greg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thank him for it. Another person who stands out for me is Rabbi Naomi Levy. She told me a story about a congregant who went to her and said he was really struggling. You know, he had a good job. And he enjoyed it and he worked hard. And on the weekends, he felt lost. He just didn't know what to do with himself. He was kind of depressed. And then Monday rolled around and he was back doing his thing and he was okay again. She took that to mean that he and a lot of people, and maybe me included, really need structure. Without it, we're not sure what to do with ourselves. That really resonated with me because on the rare weekend, when I have nothing to do, when I don't have to check my email to see if I have lined up an interview for Sunday or Monday, when I don't have anything to do, I pace the room I'm jittery. I ask my wife what we're going to do for dinner. She tells me to please leave the room, go and find a friend, go and do something. I think I need structure. And that was really good advice. And another thing that Rabbi Levy said was, if you think you know who you're going to be and what you're going to do, I mean, let's say you're going to run the, you know, the codger camp. Great. You know, you're going to do that. Here's a thought. Sample it. Sample the dream before you punch out at work, walk away without having tried something to see if it's going to be as fulfilling as you thought it might, whether it's flying airplanes or, or knitting rugs. Sample the dream, whether you do it on an extended vacation or a sabbatical. Seems to me like really good advice. And one dream that I had and always have had was, if I retire, I had three things on my list. Language, get finally fluent in Spanish, maybe go see where uh, the towns that my Spanish grandparents are from in the area of Malaga, uh, learn how to cook, how to really cook. I love to cook, but I've never had any cooking classes. And then the other thing was to learn an instrument. Mm. Rabbi Levy's advice, I went and dragged my dusty guitar out of the garage and I've played every day for over a year for at least an hour a day on most days. And I'm sampling the dream. And if any of you codgers want to join my codger band, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm holding audition next week. Randy, you're the I, musician. I, I, I'll sign up. I'll sign up. I play guitar yeah. worse than you, but I'll sign up. Right behind me right now, I've got four guitars. Oh. Writer's block I used to twiddle my thumbs. Now I pull out one of these mm-hmm. guitars. So that's my advice. Sample the dream and uh, do what replenishes you. And so you've sampled the dream in, in guitar. What about the cooking and the language? Have you done anything there? I have gotten a little better at Spanish. I've always uh, enjoyed cooking, and I'm doing a lot of that. I don't know that I'm a better cook. You know, one of the people I interviewed for this book was Mel Brooks because right. he's in his 90s and he's still working. Yeah, yeah. And Mel Brooks, you know, listen, he heard my problem, which <laughs> he didn't really think was much of a problem. He said, <laughs> he said so, you want to live on a kibbutz? I said, maybe. I never tried it. He said, so, you want to live in Barcelona and get up in the morning and do some flamenco dancing and then go and cook tapas and then maybe, uh, you know, play the guitar. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, but you like what you do. So that's the problem. You like what you're doing now. I said, yes, Mr. Brooks. And he said, how about if you go to the editors of the LA Times and they say, hey, look, I really love this job. Thank you very much. Can I do less of it so that I can spend more time at recess? And Mel Brooks said, go with the hybrid plan. You have best of both worlds. What What are you, crazy? Come on. <laughs> if you can work it out, why not? It wasn't bad advice, and I hired Mel Brooks as my life coach. <laughs> I love Mel Brooks. The New York Times article was great. Yeah. Well, you know, and Norman Lear, I talked to him. He's 100 and still working. Oh, yeah. Norman Lear. He's quite a philosopher. He said, here are the two words that you need to think about. Over and next. Whatever you did yesterday is over. It doesn't matter. He said, I'll get a call from somebody and they want to give me an award for, you know, lifetime achievement, whatever it is. That's over. I don't want to go and get that award. I want to worry about what's next. And he said, in life, you are in a hammock and you're kind of swinging between what's over and what's next. Whatever gets you out of the hammock, whatever gets you out of bed in the morning, go with that urge, with that instinct, And just do it and quit worrying about who you're going to be and what you're going to do next month. As long as you're motivated to get up and do something that matters to you, you've got it figured out. That was pretty good advice, too. Easier said than done, but I thought that that was pretty helpful. I am so glad you brought up Mel Brooks because I was going to ask you about that. He's one of my favorite guys. I love that you got retirement coaching advice from famous old people that we all know. And it was probably the best advice in the whole book, at least for me and probably you, right? It was a little intimidating, to be honest, because they're still going strong in their late 90s. Mm. I'm petering out here. I'm not quite 70 (laughs) and I'm petering out. I felt a little bit embarrassed. At the time, I was 68 (laughs) writing the book. And I'm asking a 98-year-old, hey, should I retire? I'm getting tired. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was a little awkward. Did either of them call you a wimp? Nobody has ever said this about me, and I don't know that it's true. But it felt good coming from Mel Brooks. He said, I know you. You're the Frank Capra of the L.A. Times. It stopped me, and I thought, Why, that's really sweet that he thinks that I write uplifting stories about the daily challenge. It was really cool that they each agreed to answer some of my questions. I don't know it was the highlight of their week, but they each gave me a little bit of time, and I really appreciate it. It was fun to talk to them. 
Well, Steve, you talked to all these folks who gave you great advice and you got in the door of some uh, people who were really famous. What was the thing in reporting out that book that most surprised you? Was there anything that went, whoa, didn't expect that, didn't think that? I really enjoyed my conversations with a woman by the name of Nancy Schlossberg. I guess now Nancy must be about 94 God. or 5. She's written a few books about retirement, and I had read a couple of them, so I called her out of the blue. I just looked her up in the Sarasota phone book. She said, look, retirees come in roughly six different types. She said, you're a continuer. And I forget what the six were. I'd have to read my own book in order to recall that. <laughs> this is a codger moment when you can't remember what you're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the six are like couch potatoes and adventurers who try completely different things. She said that I would be a continuer. I had not thought of myself as a continuer. And what she meant by that was a lot of retirees take what they've done in their careers and put it to some new use. Mm. And she did tell me that everything in your life will change when you're retired. She said your relationships with your friends, because they have their old commitments, you know, they're still working and they're not just waiting for you to show up and say, hey, let's let's talk about this or that or let's go have a beer. They're busy. And she said, and even with your spouse, she was right about relationships changing with your spouse. And the way I discovered that was that during the pandemic, my office was closed. The L.A. Times shut down and we were mostly working from home and from the road. And that meant that for the first time uh, since I've known my wife of almost 30 years, we were under the same roof most of every day. I thought that this was a pretty good deal. I could walk from, from one room into the kitchen or the den and say hello. She did not think that this was such a good <laughs> I know that because one day I said to her, you know, this pandemic is like a preview of my retirement because I'm around all the time. You know, we get to spend this time together. And she paused, looked at me and said, if this is a preview, I do not want to see the movie. <laughs> this was about those adjustments that Nancy Schlossberg was telling me about. You've got to create new space for yourself. You've got to be more conscious of space for your spouse. And you've got to find new and different things to talk about. And, you know, as Allison, my wife, said, Good Lord, go and get yourself some friends. I'm not going to be your, your play date every day of your retirement. I have friends. I don't need you or want you around. That really hit me hard. It has been an adjustment. We're still married. <laughs> well, while I was talking to Nancy, okay, and let me quickly tell you, she was a professor at the University of Maryland. Her husband was a lawyer for the Auto Workers Union. They lived in um, the Washington, D.C. area. They retired to their vacation destination, Sarasota, um, and then he died. She hadn't anticipated that mm -hmm. she would lose him just as they retired to enjoy their retirement years together. And then she falls in love with somebody else. She had not anticipated that. Her advice is, hey, make plans, but be aware that plans go awry. And then he died. And while I was speaking to Nancy, there was a beep. And she said, I got to take that. It's my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to roll with what comes your, your way. And as Nancy puts it, plans go awry. <laughs> Be ready to adapt in retirement. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the first part of our conversation with Steve Lopez, join us next week as we finish up our interview with him. In the meantime, you can read Steve's column in the LA Times or check out his new book, Independence Day, What I Learned About Retirement from Some Who Have Done It and Some Who Never Will. The links are in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com, or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171.